back. This is Sermons number 66, and uh, we're picking up the story at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is Moses speaking to his followers uh, in his capacity as mediator between the uh, Israelites and the Yahwehlians. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, the, the promised land. Um, notice there's an implied threat here that if, if you don't keep the commandments, <laughs> you may not live and you may not multiply. Well, if you don't live, you're not gonna multiply. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, we're taught today that God knows what's in our hearts, but here's the Old Testament God, or gods, um, using a practical test to make that determination. Doesn't seem like he was all-knowing, or they were all-knowing. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So you can eat, but that won't necessarily keep you alive if you fail to keep the commandments. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Um, you know, your clothes are in good shape, your shoes are in good shape, even after 40 years. So your feet have been protected. You know, they don't, they're not covered with blisters and sores and so on. Not clear whether this is a miracle or if it just means that you had the opportunity and the ability to uh, either make or buy new clothes and new shoes. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. So the reason you keep the commandments is that you fear the consequences if you don't. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, 
and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. Notice he didn't say these other gods were false gods. You know, if you walk after false gods, you're, you know, you're pursuing something that doesn't exist. But if you walk after other gods, uh, you're pursuing something that you're not supposed to, but they might really exist. They're just forbidden to you. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And that's the end of chapter 8. Go on to chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself, cities great and fenced up to heaven, a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? Now notice how similar the name Anak is to Anunnaki. And remember that the Anunnaki were also depicted as bigger and taller than ordinary humans, as giants. Were the Anunnaki the sons of God, the, the sons of An, or Anu in this case, who saw the daughters of men that they were fair and came down and mated with them? You know, in Genesis 6, Zechariah Sitchin said the Anunnaki meant those who from the heavens came, but that's probably an incorrect translation. Still, it could be true regardless of whether his translation is correct. Michael Heiser, uh, who has a website called SitchinIsWrong.com, uh, he, he translates Anunnaki as princely seed. But frankly, I don't see how either man's translation could be a literal translation since the word Anunnaki is derived from the names Anu and Ki. These are, An or Anu is a sky god and Ki was an earth goddess, uh, his mate. And they, together they produced these offspring and descendants who, who came to be known as the Anu Naki. So the literal translation would probably be something like, um, those who from Anu and Ki came, not, 
not those who from the heavens came. You know, they could both be correct, Sitchin and Heiser, since Anu came from the sky and his, uh, his seed was at least princely, if not kingly or godly. But, you know, neither translation can be literal if the word just comes from the names Anu and Ki. Understand, therefore, this day that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face. So shalt thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. Notice um, the Lord thy God, uh, Yahweh Elohika, is he which goeth over before thee. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was carried in, in the front rank, as I understand it, as in Numbers 10.33. You know, it says, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them. And then here it says, as a consuming fire, he shall destroy them. So this thing was definitely some kind of weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> it would destroy them quickly. Uh, but is this the same ark as the one with the mercy seat, you know, where the image of God appears and speaks, the one they kept in the tabernacle? Is Was it both a weapon and a communications device? Or were there really two arks? Well, that's the thesis of an article by um, Dr. Rabbi Zema Yore that recently appeared on thetorah.com. And the title of that article is uh, The Two Arcs, Military and Ritual. I'll read you a little bit from the introduction. Tradition and source criticism both see two arc traditions in the biblical text, the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Testimony. The former accompanies Israelite troops into battle. The latter remains in the tabernacle serving as a seat for Yahweh's glory and revelation. Now, I had noticed before that they, there were two different names used for the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Testimony, but I just kind of glossed over it, you know, thinking it was just two different ways of referring to the same object. But maybe this Rabbi Yura has a point. You know, you might not want to put such delicate communications equipment in the same housing as a weapon so powerful that it destroys armies with a consuming fire. <laughs> I mean, a disintegrator ray would be likely to cause interference, you know, RF interference, and uh, disrupt the video and audio signals, and it might destroy the transceiver altogether. But we know that the ark that they kept in the tabernacle had some destructive power of its own, maybe not enough to destroy armies, but was certainly enough to uh, destroy Aaron's sons, uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu, <laughs> you know, when it perceived a threat from the strange fire that they brought in from outside the tabernacle. So I'm not sure that I totally buy Rabbi Yura's story, but it's, it's worth reading. Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. 
But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go to possess their land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. And that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, don't go thinking that you deserve this promised land. You don't. It's just that the current residents deserve it even less. Understand, therefore, that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, for thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness, from the day that thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until ye came unto this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights, I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. See, all this is just more recap, more, more previously in the Torah summaries. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. He's talking to Moses here, the Lord is. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands, and brake them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water, because of all your sins which ye sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. You know, it would seem to me that an all-knowing God couldn't have his mind changed by by the arguments of a mere mortal like Moses. But of course, the Yahweh Elohim were not all-knowing. 
Since for one thing, they didn't know in advance how their experiment with uh, the genetically engineered humans was going to turn out. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Again, you know, uh, uh, the mere mortal, Moses, changing Yahweh's mind. And I took your sin, the calf which he had made, and burnt it with fire, and stamped it and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And at Taborah, and at Massah, and at Kibroth-Hatava, ye provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and ye believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. In other words, you were sent out to spy, and because you didn't return with the right report, you know, the report that... <laughs> that uh, Moses and the Yahwehlians wanted to hear uh, the right message, you know, they decided to kill the messengers, or, or at least to let them die before they could enter the promised land. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin, lest the land whence thou broughtest us out say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest out by thy mighty power and by thy stretched out arm. And that's the end of chapter 9. And it doesn't say this here, but this is yet another case uh, where the supposedly omniscient deity was convinced by the arguments of the mere mortal Moses. See, all that stuff about omnipotence, omniscience, and omnibenevolence was grafted onto the Bible, especially onto the Old Testament, by um, later thinkers, you know. And they should have been able to see that that wasn't true according to the Old Testament itself. It was far from true. But let's go on to chapter 10. At that time, the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. Now, Rabbi Europe points out here that the ark uh, is referred to simply as an ark of wood, with no mention of the gold plating, or the cherubim, or the mercy seat, or Anything like that. Just a wooden box. And I will write on the tables the words which were in the first tables which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. 
And I made an ark of shittim wood, and hewed two tables of stone, like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having the two tables in mine hand. Again, just an ark of wood, shittim wood specifically, no mention of gold or cherubim or seats of mercy, anything like that. And leaving all those heavy decorations off would make it a lot easier to carry into battle, you got to admit. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made. And there they be, as the Lord commanded me. And the children of Israel took their journey from Beeroth of the children of Jachon to Moserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried, and Eleazar his son ministered in the priest's office in his stead. I said Beeroth. could be Beeroth. I wonder if Beeroth or, or Beeroth is the uh, ancient version of Beirut, Beirut, Lebanon. Could be. From thence they journeyed unto Gedgoda, and from Gedgoda to Jotbath, a land of rivers of waters. At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister unto him, and to bless in his name unto this day. Now, Rabbi Yorah points out that saying, um, to bear the ark of the covenant blah, 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 unto this day, implies that bearing the ark wasn't just some temporary assignment for the Levites that, that would end, you know, once there was a permanent tabernacle or a temple built uh, that would hold the ark. The reason presumably being that an ark would continue to be carried into battle uh, even after Canaan was conquered and, and the temple was built. Wherefore, Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. And I stayed in the mount according to the first time, forty days and forty nights. And the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. <clears throat> I convinced him again. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. <laughs> See, all these laws and commandments are for your own good. Because society will fall apart unless you follow the commandments. And I think they really had a point there. I mean, <laughs> we don't follow the commandments today and our society is falling apart. Now I know correlation does not imply causation. And even if it did, you wouldn't know what causes what. I mean. Is society deteriorating because the commandments aren't being followed 
or are the commandments not being followed because society is deteriorating? Hmm. Could be a little bit of both, but logically, see, it doesn't have to be either one. Correlation doesn't imply causation. Still, there's cause to be suspicious. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. <clears throat> now, this is interesting. The heaven and the heaven of heavens. There are two different Hebrew words translated as heaven here, or heavens, or the heavens. Um, you might remember that back in sermons number 51, you know, when I was learning to read Hebrew, uh, Genesis 1.1 says that um, the Elohim created Hashemayim and Haaretz, the skies and the land. This verse says that both Hashemayim, the skies, and the heaven of Hashemayim, the heaven of the skies, are Yahweh's. So Yahweh owns not only the earth, but the skies and the heaven of the skies. Now this heaven of the skies is not Hashemayim, though. It's it's, uh, Yusameh. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's the Yusameh of Hashemayim. Now this is the first time this Hebrew word Yusameh has appeared in the Bible. And it only appears three other times, if my concordance is correct. <clears throat> Once in 1 Kings and twice in 2 Chronicles. And every time it's in this same phrase, the heaven of the heavens or the highest heaven, sometimes it's translated. Um, could it be referring to the Yahwehlian home planet? Was this one of the places that uh, that the Lord would go to prepare a place for us, the Lord Jesus, uh, to prepare a place for us? You know, it's one of the uh, many mansions that are in his father's house. Well, we don't know. Uh, but it obviously means something different from the skies or else it wouldn't have been phrased this way. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. In other words, don't just be satisfied with physical circumcision. You know, the symbol of belonging to Yahweh, but internalize that as well so that you don't resist doing his will, his will so that you're not stiff-necked, in other words. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. So just as we had the heaven of heavens or the heaven of the heavens in the previous verse, here we have God of gods and Lord of lords, or really God of the gods and Lord of the lords. A God of gods is very straightforward. It's Elohe Elohim. I've said before, <laughs> I was wrong, 
that wherever the word Lord appears in the Old Testament, it's a translation of the name Yahweh. Well, sorry, my bad. Uh, the Lord of Lords is not the Yahweh of Yahwehs, uh, despite the fact that it would be correct to say that Yahweh is the Lord of the Yahwehlians. But the Hebrew that is translated here as Lord of Lords is Adonai Ha'adonim. <clears throat> and unlike the name Yahweh, Adonai actually means Lord. So Lord of Lords is actually an accurate translation here. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. Just as Abraham was promised, as you might remember. Well, that's the end of chapter 10. And once again, <laughs> out of time. So, you know, we'll pick it up next time at the beginning of chapter 11. Until then... Keep the faith, believe in the God of the gods, <laughs> fear the Lord of the lords. Maybe someday you'll get to go see the heaven of the heavens. <laughs>